This is Jane Hardwick-Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. So welcome to the podcast series. I am Ayla Myra, your podcast host and story guide. Welcome to episode 14 of the Womancraft podcast and thank you for joining us and we have Talia and Talia asked the question after she found herself traveling for some time, what is it to be a woman? She becomes even more curious and interested and found the School of Shamanic Womancraft and then it was the School of Shamanic Midwifery. So we explore Talia's journey into the amazing work she does and especially we focus on the Maiden School of Magic, which is an absolutely beautiful offering from Talia and Shah. So enjoy. There's a slight lag um, of the audio when it's trying to catch up and I attempted to resolve it, but I just let it flow. So... Notice that and enjoy the episode. Hi, Talia. Welcome so much to the Woman Craft Podcast on this new moon in March. Uh, thank you for your presence and for us. We've been weaving in and out of arranging our space to be together and so I'm very grateful that we are together now. Mm, me too. Mm. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> So you have uh, been with the school since 2014 and I'm really excited to talk to you today because you offer a lot of wisdom and insight um, and I'm especially curious about talking about the eight seasons journeys and also the maiden circles that you ran recently over the summer school holidays which I'm just really keen to find out how they went because it's something that sits with my heart too. So. Uh, let's start back into okay. 2014 and feeling into your calling, like what what brought you into the school and to the wisdom and where were you at that time in your life? Well, I, I happened upon the school in um, what I'd say was quite a magical way, really. I was, I'd been travelling overseas for two years and I was really starting to um, like wonder what is it to be a woman and I really it, it was a big question in my mind I felt like I'd done a lot of um, stripping off of my identity and what was left is hang on I'm a woman of this earth and what does that mean 
And so I started looking into that and questioning that. And I had this idea in my head, this vision in my mind that I wanted to um, go to Brazil and and apprentice to an old lady midwife in a village there. And I could see this woman's face in my mind. And one day I went to the internet cafe and I typed into Google shamanic midwifery. And at that point I was far away from Australia, as I said, in Costa Rica and had no intention of coming to Australia. I thought I'd be a gypsy living around the world the rest of my life. And then I saw this school of shamanic midwifery and and I opened it up and looked at it and I was just, I was wowed. I was, what is what is this? These women are talking about all the questions that I've been asking myself and they have a school and, and they can teach me and share with me and, and how can they teach me? Isn't this stuff I should already know? And anyway, I emailed in and, and just continued to be interested and eventually about uh, about six, seven months later I came back to Australia and I got an email from them and I signed right up and I said, I'll stay in Australia for one year just to do this course and never left. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> the dreams of the wandering gypsy. I, I too <laughs> had that dream or that vision, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you felt the calling and so that was 2014 and you did that in Mullumbimby? No, I did it. I was the last year at Jane's property um, down in uh, the Southern Highlands. Oh, okay. So I was, I just moved to Mullumbimby. Uh, the first gathering I was still in, I was, I don't know, in the Mornington Peninsula and then I moved up to Mullumbimby and was travelling down for the rest of the year. And so what, like, what what did you bring to um, your first gathering as a woman that was travelling and living the gypsy life? Um, was there, what, what did, what part of self did you bring to your first time when you arrived at the gathering? Mm. Um, well, I think I actually brought scepticism, to be honest. I I was unconvinced before I got there. Um, Is that because it wasn't in Brazil <laughs> when it was an old lady? <laughs> um, maybe. I think I just... <laughs> I think I honestly I felt quite skeptical at the idea of someone claiming to be able to teach me that which I felt was like my birthright and and I was a bit hung up on that and it wasn't until I actually met Jane and looked at her face to face and heard her speak to me and could feel her energy that I understood really quickly oh this isn't that like this is not this is not the patriarch, you know, this is not somebody trying to teach me something. This is somebody opening a space so I can explore that birthright. Wow, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really insightful because, um, you know, it's like the scepticism came up as the medicine mm. for what you needed. Mm. And I think at that time it was general scepticism of any anything in the West, anything that I felt like, was part of dominant mainstream culture and I think probably the fact that they had a website turned me off, you know, even though what they were saying in the website was so right. It was like, oh, but they're too official. (laughs) 
<laughs> see what you mean yeah and so did that how was the first time how was your first gathering like coming through that can mm. you go back into that space yeah what it was like for you I just remember sitting there in the glade at Jane's place under the trees and being there with my drum and with the women and just feeling feeling a, a deep sense of being settled I think on the surface for me it's often, you know, initial meetings and interactions aren't a place of comfort for me. Um, I generally need a bit of time to just sit and be and, and feel that settled feeling in my body before I can feel connected to other. And um, and I remember feeling settled and I remember having the thoughts of, oh, like having some thoughts that were a bit like, oh, how, where's my place? What is this? What's happening? But the feeling in my body was you're safe and you're here. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the episodes we've talked about safety and how important that Mm -hmm. is for deep exploration Mm -hmm. of self, which, again, you know, you spoke about that previously, which is what you wanted to do in your intent. Um, With that safety that you felt, and that all that safety that was coming on for the exploration process. How did you feel heading into your birth uh, imprint and making of the drum? Um, I, I think I approached it with a sense of curiosity and um, and excitement. I was I really you know love creating. I love using my hands. I love creating my own tools um you know I was sewing my own books and making the things that I'm going to use so I came to it with a lot of joy and creativity and my birth story is um fairly easy it's a you know there wasn't it wasn't a traumatic birth um it was quite fluid and so I I trusted in that and I I didn't I sort of just came with this feeling of ease um it was actually not until my first year of apprenticing when I made twin drums in the in the opening gathering and um that was when the birth story kind of unraveled into and I saw things that um weren't in the first layer of the story they were in the second and third yeah, <laughs> and so on and yeah, so on. Yeah. It's still, <laughs> still unraveling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the unraveling too. Sometimes when you think, oh, you've got that, and then it's like, oh. oh no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you feel like you're back to square one, but mm. you're not. You've done all the work and the processing. Mm. It's just there's still more stuff to come up yeah. and <laughs> be seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... So you had your year journeying. Um, I'd love to talk about the Vision Quest too because mm-hmm. I know that your this is part of your offerings now is sort of Vision Quests and drum making. And mm. How did that show up for you at that time? Well, that was one of my um, major questions when I first had my interview with Jane. Um, I'd heard about Vision Quest a few years earlier and it was one of those things where I heard about it and I thought I could not do that no way could I do that and and then by the time I came to apply for the course and 
I was I was ready. I was like, okay, I want to do this vision quest. This this feels like the next piece for me. And so when I had that interview with Jane, I, I really drilled her. I said, what, what is your idea of vision quest? And I didn't believe that I, it would, you know, I just, again, the scepticism was coming up. And then when I got there um, and we got to that vision quest site, it was just when I got to my solo site, it was whatever words, it was home, you know, it was um, that sense of feeling settled in my body was taken to a whole nother level of, of, of melding, like body and earth becoming one. Um, and I remember walking down out of that site three days later and just knowing this is it, I don't need Vipassana, I don't need these other things. This is my medicine. Um, I just need to be and sit with the earth and that's enough. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting, is it, the beautiful, simple grounding mm. that came from mm. that and sitting and being with. Mm. And so when you finished your journey, um it saw you going straight into doing apprenticeship to eventually become a teacher in which you are now. Yes, that's right. It was just um, there was this sense of keep going. Like the apprenticeship changed forms just as I entered my first year and before it changed forms it was uncertain whether I would be able to apprentice. And I would said to myself halfway through, I'll, I'll just do it again as a student if I can't apprentice. Like, I'm not done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I like to sort of work with talking about, you know, what guides or working with the goddesses and how that showed up for you. Did that change, like, through your time when you were you first journeyed with the school until the apprenticeship too? Is there anything in particular, like any special guides or goddesses or anything that you could feel into that resonated with you at that time? Um, well, yeah, there are some very interesting weavings with me and the guides that have journeyed with me throughout my time at the school. Um, one in particular that's standing out to me right now is on my very first drum journey to meet my inner shaman um my drum journeys were were never very visual to begin with they were it was always quite a stretch for me to interpret the kinesthetic experience I was having into something that my mind could make sense of but in that journey to into the womb there was this very vivid um, picture of these two like yellow eyes and a black kind of dog-like face looking at me and it was momentary but it was sharp and I didn't know what it was and I and I sort of had kept the image in my mind but didn't really go into it until my third year apprenticing last year um, when Hecate came to came to the group as the matron goddess and and it dropped in immediately. It was Hecate's hound. And Hecate's hound had been journeying with me the whole time and I hadn't known who it was. 
Um, and so I felt really connected to that. And Hecate was just a really strong guide last year with her hounds in tow. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about Hecate and her hound and what the meaning or your interpretation of the meaning? Well, yeah, um, Hecate is one of the dark goddesses. Um, she dwells at the crossroads. She lives deep underground and her hounds, um, you know, some of the mythology around them, they I can't remember the name even, but they um, stand up at the full moon and and howl and call the souls of the dead to the underworld where they can come to Hecate. Um, And it's like this calling back home to the underworld, to the darkness. And and I I think that's been one of the pieces that's so strong for me is, is finding home in the dark and that becoming comfortable with the dark and the underworld and the shadow and really coming to appreciate, like Hecate for me stands for the power that is there in the dark places. And when I'm saying dark, I, I'm not talking about um, that which is bad. I'm talking about that which is dark and unseen and unknown. Um, and she's helped, for me, she helps to break down that stigma around dark and bad and and the kind of lack of separation between those things that if that makes sense yeah and when you explored that you know during your time and now even I'm sure there's more to explore Mm. what was like life like before that did you work with the shadow side or was it a bit of a like oh like this is new for me um um I wouldn't say that I really worked with the shadow side before. I, um, but like before coming to the Four Seasons and to the school, I, you know, of course had challenging experiences in my life, but generally life was pretty, I've, I've lived a really blessed life where um, I haven't had serious trauma, I haven't had serious kind of darkness in inverted commas plaguing my life um and and I think the way it's come out as being really potent for me is not in terms of my own shadow of the trauma that I've experienced but in terms of the collective um disregard or devaluing of the shadow and the darkness so when I came to connect in with that part of the cycle really and Hecate and the darkness and all of that it wasn't so much my own darkness that was coming through but realizing that realizing my my preconceptions my perceptions my inherent ideas that I've um, received from society about about the qualities of the descent and the darkness being bad. It's not something our society values. And I could see that really clearly and it made me curious um, and want to know, well, hang on, if that's a natural part of life, then what, what's, what's there for me? What's there for us as a society? Um, and that's really sparked my interest now in 
in honouring menstruation, in taking the time at the dark moon, in um, cosying down in winter. Yeah. Mm. And how do you hold yourself, uh, like, accountable, I guess, in that sense? Do you have the sort of offering that you can show to people in a daily, do you have a daily practice or, you know, if something comes up, is there anything that you do in terms of ritual or practice mm. or meditation mm. or anything like that? Yes, I'm a, I'm a person who needs a lot of time to myself um, and so that's something that I will take and in that time, you know, for me it's it's often not something I can do quickly in the morning. I, or I, like I, I do do things like that but I also really need at least once a week to come into my own space. I have this beautiful um lake dam down on the property where I live and I'll often just go and sit down there and just be um I guess my practice is that of of sensory awareness and um it's it's kind of this active active and passive experience of allowing as I experienced on vision quest allowing my body and my being to become connected with the earth and so it's it's kind of a simple practice of clearing it's like meditation but eyes open fully aware meditation in, in a sense um yeah, it's hard to explain yeah. it <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 oh well yeah if, of course because it's mm. so unique to each person mm. isn't it that form of how we meditate mm. or anything like that for sure yeah so you did three years of apprenticing and that's pretty mm. epic in itself. Um, you really showed commitment, I guess. Like that's – it's not something where you can just, I guess, like go, oh, I'll do that another five years. It's like you really just went for it for the three years and now you're mm-hmm. a teacher and you are you will be teaching eight seasons journeys. Yeah. Um, what was apprenticing like for you? Did it – really shape and mould you and, you know, did you get value out of those three years of So much, so much value and it's, yeah, as you say, it's commitment and it's it's like it was a sole contract. It's, you know, I definitely faced resistance throughout my time of like, oh, I can't, I don't want to, but there was this deeper inner, you're going, you're doing this, yes, Um. And I think in terms of how it shaped me, that is revealing more and more um, as I step away from that apprenticeship and step into teacher and in whatever way that looks like, I can see what, I can see the growth that's happened. I can see how I've been shaped and formed by that. And I guess one just example that's coming to my mind now is I went, I recently was in New Zealand running um, a workshop at a festival over there and they placed my workshop on the dark moon and that this was obviously no coincidence to me, though it was to them and, and I just thought I'm teaching the wisdom of the cycles here. We have to do a dark moon ritual. Like that is 
that is the teaching to actually do the practice of what it is to be in the dark. And so I knew that I had to do it and I had no idea what we what we needed to do and I, and I knew that I think my apprenticeship the training that I I did took me to this place where I could feel clearly I have to do a dark moon ritual I have no idea what it's going to be and that's okay and I was able to fully trust in in the rightness of doing that and holding that space for like a hundred people with you know I did my planning and preparation but it it took a long time to come through and I was and I think what stands out for me is the knowing that it would and then knowing that because it was right and because of the training that I'd done I can I can hold this space and bring this to these people and it will work because that's the magic of doing a ritual like that um yeah so there are different ways that the training comes through and I can see how it's shaped and formed me and how it enables me to do what I do now and do it with full trust and confidence. Yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah, like not only does the journey give us that, or women, that or people, that trust, you know, the trust of the flow, which we're sort of so oppressed mm. against in our world and our culture and our society, our community sometimes is that really willingness to go, it's okay, I can trust and, you know, what surrender means, you know, to deeply just let it go and trust mm. the process. And like you said, it's um, knowing it whatever needs to show up will show up at the right yeah. time um, without trying to hold on to it. Um which the school that I I feel like that exploration when you go into that deep self inquiry within the school within the journey it really yes. offers that because it offers that again that space to explore yes. and be curious and 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 yeah. what I what I can really see with that with that self inquiry that we do in the in the journey um, it's one of the things I can, like one of the fruits of that that I can see is that by going into that self-inquiry and going into that place of truth where where our truth is held and really unpacking what's in the way of that, we, we become familiar with that place of truth and what that feels like and what it looks like and how we experience that. And then because of that deep work of becoming familiar with that place, it's like we know how to access it again. So when there's a decision or when there's something that's happening, it's like, okay, tune back into that place, that place of truth, that place where I know is my essence. What is that telling me to do? And I think that the the work that we do in the course makes that place much more accessible because we've got to know what it have over you learned in yourself work. since journeying with the school about menstruation mm-hmm. I guess what I've taken from what I've learned about menstruation is is that it's a I guess that it's natural, like that it that it's natural, and because to me natural has such connotations of truth and beauty and um, rightness, 
I've, I've, it's like an embodied sense of my body being powerful, my body as the earth and and the deep privilege really of experiencing the cycle that is all of life in my body. So, so there is no sense of me that feels like menstruation, that my cycle, that when I'm bleeding, that that's a problem. It, it's over the years of tracking my cycle and coming to connect with it, there's, it's like I'm left only with a deep value and appreciation for the opportunities inherent of that, with that time, that, that my body will not allow me to keep going when I need to stop. That very, the very part of my being and my nature is to, to rest at that time. And, and in today's society, listening to that and having that connection with my body is, is like the saving grace. It's, it's the antidote to the upward-moving, fast-paced, growth-oriented society, the fact that I bleed and that when I bleed I can, I can fully take that opportunity to go inward, to rest, to listen to my body, It's a privilege. I feel blessed <laughs> to have that. Something else. It's just life affirming. It's I know if there's a word for it really. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's, yeah. It's just the rightness, you know. It is it is the human's capacity for procreation. Like it is life. It is the mechanism through which the human humanity continues. And and I just feel so I feel so outraged, to be honest, at the taboo on menstruation. Like, what? Why? Why is this something that we don't know about and, and we don't talk about? This is humanity. Like, without it, what would we be? And how how has it come to this point where it's got this global taboo? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, and I should say today, you know, like it being International Women's Day, so it's nice mm. to talk to you on this day, um, but more so just r- recognising that like uh, in terms of, yes, celebrating today but also every day, like celebrating us as women and cyclic beings, mm. I think that mm. is what is important to You are listening to the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast series with Ayla Myra. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. Tell me about the maiden circles that you run, that you guys, you and Char, is that right? Yes, yeah. Char and I. Yeah. So, the, so it's the Maiden School of Magic, which is um, part of the School of Shamanic Womancraft and it's been something that's been in the dreaming for some time. And at the end of last year, just as Char and I were finishing off our apprenticeship, it just got this whole new 
burst of life and energy and we were both just, yes, let's do this. Let's make this happen. And so Jane had already, um, you know, created the concepts of the Maiden School of Magic and we decided to bring it into something that was very um, easy to do, to just get it going, to get bring the maidens in. We hear from so many of the women who go through the course and who are connected to the school, what about our girls? You know, what can we do for them? And there's the becoming a woman training and there's um, there are there are things that they can do, but we wanted more. And so we we birthed the Maiden School of Magic and we ran two programs, um, one in December focused around Litha and the summer solstice and then one in January that was more focused around Lamas and the um, that first harvest. And we held it at my house in Malambimbi under this beautiful Ponciana tree and we sat around in a circle with uh, between seven to ten girls between aged between seven and eleven. And the magic was palpable. We did different things in the circle. We, we set the space and we prepared the altar and we did that with the girls as well as for them. And before we started each day, the girls would go out into the garden and just take a minute and connect with nature and bring back something from the garden to place on the altar to represent them and how they were feeling. Um, and we did throughout, so it was three days, each, each program was three days, and throughout the days there was lots of, um, stories and crafts and games and intentional magic making and we had some really incredible experiences um, with magic and really without using too many words what is magic how do we do magic because we don't the way I do magic and, and Shah and I are very aligned in this we, it's not about reading a spell from a book. It's about feeling connected in the body to the earth and using intention and focus to imbue the, the magic into whatever it is you're doing, whether it's an activity or, or a, something you're creating with your hands. Um, and and it, there was the response and the interaction with the girls and, and this form of magic was really something that just opened my heart and my hope for the girls to come and the women who are growing up now. We, we did this um, one activity where it was over the three days of the Lamas program and we went out to the garden and we got to know the different plants that were there and then we chose some of the herbs in the garden that are that are supportive of sleep and rest. So we had lavender and mugwort and catmint and blue blue lily and we picked these flowers and did this whole process of picking them and drying them and um, mixing them all together. And as we came to the part where we mixed them all together and I watched these girls really put their intention and put their dreams and focus into this bowl of flowers and and they're mixing it around and I can see them you know praying really to to this 
this um, concoction that we've made and you can feel the magic, I can see it and it's, and it was just, uh, it was like a dream, a dream come true really. Yeah. Yeah, just got like little goosebumps just thinking of that because this is the it's not even work. It's just this is the life path that is inherent in us to make space for both sides. You know, the the older side and the younger mm. side um, to create to for them to deeply explore. So that like just by that process, they're going through their own deep exploration. Mm in a guided way and feeling mm. safe again. Mm. <laughs> oh, I just thank you for, mm. for that, <laughs> for doing this. You know, it's so, so, so mm. important. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and again, like it's like the, you know, the feeling that we resonate with, with being part of the cyclic ways of our body and tracking that and being with it, it's like you wish everyone could feel that and it's the same with mm. the maidens and just wish every one of them could be brought into the that process, into their cycle in this yeah. way of being curious and exploring. Yeah, and that's and that was yeah. that's a big part of the intention and and the sort of framework that guides us as we create the programs is the opportunity for these girls to have an embodied experiential understanding of the cycles and that's why we focus that's why we do a lot of earth craft and we bring awareness to where we are in space and time and we do the directions and we send them out to go and look what's over there what's over there what's happening over there in, on the earth um, in each of the directions and in that way rather than you know, as we get older, we kind of have to, we, we often need to start our understanding at a more intellectual level. But for them, just giving them that experience and, and opening this space and the opportunity to connect with the here and now and how that changes as time moves, um, it feels to me like a more holistic and direct way to, to allow them to connect with the cycles. Yeah, and did did you get the feeling you and Shah when you finished this first cycle of the Maiden School of Magic? Because I could see it, it is it's happening again in April. Yeah. Oh, great! <laughs> I can just see that resonate. I mean, I would love to learn it to teach it here in this community, and I think it's, it's such a great thing for the school and for you guys to bring on and. Do you feel like there's a, from that circle, like those two that you held, that there was a sort of uh, wanting to continue it like monthly or, you know, have a regular gathering with those maidens? Absolutely. What, like what did you? Yeah, yeah it feels yeah. like it's, it feels like it's the birth, it's the beginning and it feels like it's something that um, will grow and will grow beyond Shara and I, you know, it. it it's its own thing that we've just sort of midwifed through the birth and we're going to continue to tend to and support it and encourage it to grow and become itself um, that will obviously be bigger than us. That seems really clear to us. Um, 
and the response from around the country has just been, when are you coming? When's it coming here? When's it coming? Like people want yeah. it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? People yeah. want it. And, yeah, I bet we'll all look forward to the time when you're taking on us to learn learn the ways and the wares and to bring it to mm. our own communities. That will be a great birth to you and a beautiful mm. moment. And so eight seasons journeys, um, you and Shara also midwifing, yes. birthing that. So it'll be your first first time teaching, yeah. is that right? In the, well, in the in the, in the teacher, teacher role, role of the every student teacher, yeah. teachers, <laughs> yeah, in that journey. Tell me how that's been going and what you and Shara have been dreaming up together with that. Oh, well, it's just been such a blessing to have gone through the apprenticeship with Shah. We didn't do our four seasons journey together, but we did start, a, she did it the year before me and then took a one year break. And then we went through the three years of apprenticing together. And, and as we came to connect more and more and learn more and more about each other, it's become really clear where why you know why we were set up to do the apprenticeship together in that way I say set up like universally set up um Um, (laughs) because where we really intersect is at the place of earth connection basically really we both spend a lot of time out bush, out in nature, doing things like vision quest, whether it be, um, you know, formally structured held vision quest or more of a spontaneous go out bush and take some time to yourself kind of vision quest. Um, and we can, we both have this um, connection and interaction and engagement with the earth that that we that we want to bring into the eight seasons journey and that we can feel the land holding the journey and so we've connected um with another woman melissa who has this amazing land down at broom's head just south of yamba and we went down there with her and it was there are grass trees there's anthereas all throughout the land there's wallabies and emus that move through the land and as we got there it was just this warm open welcome yes um and so as we're preparing for the eight seasons journey we do it in communication with melissa as the caretaker of the land and with the land itself and we really have this um clear vision of us sitting around the fire with the earth um, in in deep, you know, like holding the space for communication with the land. And I think such a strong part of both the journey of Shah and I has been really understanding that as a woman that your body is as the earth. And, and so by connecting to self, we are inherently connecting to the earth um and so there's for us a real power of being in close relationship with the earth while doing this work um and so we're just really excited to to bring that through and um 
you know, see rich women show up to come and sit on the land as they journey into themselves. Oh, I like that. It just kind of resonates with what you spoke about with your vision quest too and how much wisdom we can gain by grounding and being with the earth and drawing on her wisdom Mm. already and then team that up with the beautiful processes that you can offer, you and Shah can offer. Wow. Where is Broom's head, though, for um, Broom? It's on the east coast. It's about two two hours south of Mullumbimby, Um, so about an hour and a half or so north of Coffs Harbour on the coast um, near, I think it's um, the... Yeah, yeah, that's a hard word to say. It's near a national park and it's right there. It's about 10 minutes from the coast where, where the land is itself um, and the beautiful Arawara Lake, mm. Aragon. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tell me about teaching the eight seasons journey. Um, I know I did the eight seasons and I'm glad I showed up to it. I don't know mm-hmm. different two or four seasons but... In my life, there was just so much that came up and shifted during that two years and I was really thankful for the space to do some Mm. processes and deep work Mm. um, between the gatherings. Um, And also there was this little kind of part of me that was like, oh, it's longer, so I get more excited. You know, yeah, before the journey starts, you get excited and you see everyone and you just get so well nourished and eat beautifully and, yeah, yeah, so I was really glad that stretched out too. Tell me about your... So, yeah, I I think, so I haven't done an eight seasons journey and I can feel really clearly why I feel called to offer the eight seasons journey. Um. I think different women come to it for different reasons and often often it's um, about having busy lives as women. We often do with children or work or businesses, whatever it is, we're often juggling lots of things and the eight seasons journey just gives a little bit more spaciousness for those women who need it in their lives who don't want to just cram another thing into a year or who need a little bit more spaciousness financially, whatever it is, it's it's a longer period of time to do this work. And I think for me personally, part of the power in that is I am somebody who who can process quite slowly and, and I can have these powerful experiences and it takes time for for uh, like the the resonance or the remnants of that to to show themselves and to become clear and to kind of iron out the kinks of what that big experience was and how it impacted me. And so in that sense, I think the eight seasons journey gives more space to the process if that's what somebody needs. You know, the the four seasons journey in itself is also quite spacious, so it's not necessarily what somebody needs, but I think there is a deep power in that that kind of stretching it out and giving more space to the processes. Yes, I can mm. resonate with that. And, yeah, it calls to different people for yeah. different reasons and beautifully offering the eight seasons journey. So well done and I hope 
all the best blessings mm. for you both. <laughs> and where where can um, we find you and your work on? Um, have you got any social media? Yes. Instagram. So at the moment, um, my uh, social media presence is as weaving the hearth. So hearth being the central, um, the central fireplace, the central cooking place of a family in, in kind of a, you know, more traditional or old ways homes. Um, so weaving the hearth, I'm on Instagram and Facebook with that. I post more on Instagram, but that's sort of just a place where I'm sharing what I'm doing and sharing all these things in my life that, that have meaning to me and that I want to spread out into the world Um and it's kind of an ever-growing presence that's beginning slowly to branch out into different offerings that are, that are coming through. Beautiful. And, of course, you can find out more on the school, the shamanicwomancraft.com mm-hmm. website about the Eight Seasons journey um, that will be coming up if, uh, so for 2019 or any future journeys mm-hmm. for yourself and Shah. Um, yeah, so mm. thank you for, mm. <laughs> for your wisdom. Uh, I would like to ask, and I always ask at the end, what um, message or advice would you give to women that are on the fence and like, mm, I don't know about this or, you know, some blockages that came up and a lot mm. of them came up for me. Um, at some point during the time. So what advice or just any wisdom you'd give to someone considering the four or eight mm. seasons journey? Ooh. Well, I guess what's coming to me is that idea of can you find that place in your beginning where you've made an a tr- like where the truth where your truth lives can you find that place in your body where your truth lives and do what you need to do to get to that place and make the decision from there because i know that it can be really hard to discern the voices of fear from from it what might be an authentic no a truthful no there is often so much that comes up when when our truth wants to shine through. There are so many, um, you know, those blockages, those fears, those thought forms that come in and hijack the truth. So can you find that place in your body where the truth is speaking through you and shut out the, the external madness to see whether this is what's really calling you to be done. Wow. Thank you so much. Mm. So much gratitude. Thank you, Leila. For more information on today's inner review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. We are all in this 
together. <laughs>